The big questions are, how do business owners like us spending our own money, time, and effort, how do we grow our businesses and jump the line? That lets us accelerate the delivery of our products and services in our community while being smart about our growth, profits, culture, and still create lasting value in our business. Those are the questions, and this podcast will share some of those answers. Today's guest is Gary Wolford. He's the senior business broker at Raincatcher. My name is Bob Rourke. Welcome to Business Leaders Podcast. Gary Wolford, thank you so much for taking your time today to be a guest on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Bob. I'm really glad to be here with you today. You know, I've been looking forward to this. You and I talked a bit before the show, and you started talking about your experience in the franchise space and it seems like there isn't anything you haven't done. So if you would, tell us a little bit about how you got here. Well, sure, I'd be happy to do that. Well, thanks for asking, because I have been kind of reflecting on my background and experiences. And they do kind of cover a lot of bases. First was on the corporate side of the franchising world, and was with a company based down in Dallas that decided to franchise all of their company-owned restaurants. And that was Bonanza International. So I was VP of operations over about 250 stores. And then they gave me an opportunity to become a franchise owner as kind of a little bit of a stay bonus, if you will. So my franchise fee was waived and I was able to pick one of two or three stores that would be mine. So that's when I first got involved in the ownership side of franchising, a wonderful experience. And then I was able to develop two additional Bonanza family steakhouses as a franchise owner in North Texas and Southern Oklahoma. And I go back to that as kind of a grassroots learning experience because the old adage, you know, you learn where the buck stops. You learn uh, when it's snowing outside and you got a payroll on Monday and the business is down, you learn what you have to do as a business owner to take care of that. So from that very early beginning, I started gaining a strong appreciation for business owners and knowing their world and and what they were faced with on a day-to-day basis, really. And that later led to an opportunity to sell those stores to a larger franchise owner after about six or seven years, because the town that I was in, they built another highway that kind of cut the traffic patterns down quite a bit. And I could see the handwriting on the wall. It was time to consider maybe moving on to something else. So I did sell those three locations to another franchise owner in that system and then got affiliated with another franchise as the operating partner back in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Luther's Barbecue. So we built, gosh, over six years, uh, 10 AAA locations. This is back in the day we were selling barbecue sandwiches for a buck ninety-nine. But we had like a $2 million average with a lot of drive-through, a lot of takeout, a lot of catering. Each of these restaurants would seat 200 people. So we were very successful in the Dallas-Fort Worth market in spite of some failures of the franchise company. So that led to our really having a little bit of a dispute. And we ended up, long story short, settling with those folks. And we had to change the name from Luther's to Coulter's. And I think still have the little uh, writing pad that I used to come up with that name because we did a little marketing thing. So we didn't want to confuse customers where we had uh, Luther was the uncle of Coulter. Coulter was the nephew that took over because Luther retired. But the thing I liked about it most, it saved me a lot of money because all the letters in the name 
were the same number of letters, and there were, there were canned letters on the building, so it was very economic to change the name. So Luther's became Coulter's. That was a wonderful experience as well. But then led me, oh gosh, that was about another eight-year segment. My partner ultimately bought me out at that point, and that led me to Colorado, where I became affiliated with a company headquartered up in Wyoming, that being Taco John's International. It's a quick-service Mexican chain. I was their VP of operations and franchise support from like 96, or excuse me, 88 to 96, at which time I uh, left the company and went to work for a different segment in franchising, that being Grease Monkey International, Quick Lube, Preventative Maintenance, Oil Change People, based in Denver, started out there facilitating a strategic plan with the preferred shareholders. They wanted to position the company to sell, quite honestly. So we were ultimately able to do that. They brought me on board as Senior VP of Operations and Franchise Development to help implement the plan that we had developed. And we did find a buyer after about three years, and that uh, opened up an opportunity then to um, either stay with the company in a different capacity or leave with a little bit of a parachute. So that was a chance at that time to establish my own business. My wife and I looked at each other and said, what are we going to do now? The kids are all grown and gone. And so we said, well, let's look at our backgrounds and let's uh, start our own business. That's when Wofford Management Services was born. So we started doing franchise consulting work because that was kind of my background. And then I got a real exciting telephone call one day from the Taco John's Franchisee Association saying they were needing some management and some help in organizing their company. So I was really flattered having been the corporate guy and met all these great franchise owners. And they asked if we would take them as a client. So that was a real flattering opportunity that I jumped on and became their executive director of their franchisee association. And that led to another piece of our business that lasted for about 20 years, where we started doing their annual convention and trade show as a revenue generator. So my wife, Cindy, kind of spearheaded that particular part of Wofford Management Services. I would be more the picture overarching negotiator with the properties and the vendors and that kind of thing. And she was the one that made it happen and did a wonderful, wonderful job. So we had that franchise experience in putting on a franchise event for franchisees. And then that led me to a third part of our company, which was franchise brokerage, because having owned them myself and learned from that, and then having a been a franchisor in developing franchise brands, I started doing franchise brokerage work to help individuals and groups of people who wanted to own their own business, being their guide and their consultant, and let them share in my own experiences to, like I like to say, help them avoid potentially costly mistakes. A lot of times people don't really know what specifically they want to do. And so I was able to get into their head a little bit, to find out where their passion was, what they really enjoyed doing, then I could do research and introduce them to franchise models that would be a good fit for them and their unique criteria. And I always tried, I didn't look for people to fit a particular franchise. I looked for the right franchise to fit with a particular client. 
And I did a number of those deals over about a, oh, a seven or eight year period. And then I started working on the other end of it because I, through referrals, people wanted to exit their business after a number of years. So then I started doing the brokerage on the other side of the table by finding a successor to uh, take that business over. So I did both, both sides of it. So then ultimately, once the pandemic hit us in 2020 that we all relate to, it kind of took away the event business that had been very good for our company. And the last event we did was actually in March of 2019. And although we were planning another event for this same client in March of 2020, like a lot of people, so oh, this will all be over in a couple of weeks. You know, we can just postpone it for a few weeks. And, you know, here we sit, what, a year and a half to almost two years later, and uh, we're still experiencing the same difficulties with that meetings and trade shows. So Cindy decided it was time for her to retire. And to your original question, how did I get here? Okay. I said, okay, I think business brokerage makes the most sense. And that's when I decided, number one, here in Colorado, you have to have a real estate license to be a business broker. So I had I got that done in January, February of 21. Then I made a list of about 11, 10 or 11 brokerage firms I was going to talk to. And Raincatcher was one that I had become familiar with primarily through LinkedIn. Had seen the little bit of activity that they had posted there. So they were number one on the list. And after talking with the ownership there at Raincatcher, and one of the managing directors, Aaron, and then Marla and Jason, the owners, I did not have to go to numbers two through 11. And it was just a good fit. I was excited that it was mutual. And uh, so I came on board in March of 21. And I came on board as a senior broker. And I work on a national basis and very many diverse type deals. And it's been a wonderful experience for me just to be able to talk to business owners that I have the highest regard for to help them achieve their objectives. And I look at it this way. It's one deal at a time. You don't look at multiple deals. Every deal is unique and different, and you have to give it full time and attention. It's kind of like when I ran 450 restaurants. It was one restaurant 450 times. That's the kind of the philosophy that I think makes a lot of sense. So that's how I got here, Bob, and it's an exciting time for Raincatcher, exciting time for me. You know, it's, I talked to a guy that's the CEO of a family office, and his comment was, if you've seen one family office, you've seen one. <laughs> right. You know, and, and I think about, you know, I was excited to talk to you because your depth of experience is basically from entry level to corporate to selling out to buying, I mean, it sounds like there's not much you haven't done. And as a franchise business owner, I'm sure there's nothing you haven't done inside of your business. Shoveling snow, you name it, as a business okay. owner, that's what you get to do. Well, absolutely. And, you know, making sure the landscaping is right. Yeah, it's very detailed. And, you know, I always looked at it this way, too. And I tried to teach my managers the same philosophy. It's like putting on a dinner party at your house. You know, you're going to make sure the lawn is done. You're going to make sure the sidewalk is swept. You're going to make sure the doors are clean and the restrooms are clean so that people come to your home. They're going to have a good experience. So, and I also tried to put the philosophy in everyone's head. Let's give our customers a reason to want to come back. You know, that's really what it's all about. And I think that may sound simple, but I think that's the kind of uh, distinction that sets one 
business apart from another and always wanted to stand out and not stand in. You know, I, there's all of that sounds simple and easy are two different things, of course. You know, and, and I think about for the business owner that's listening, one of the things I wanted to do is try to capture some of the wisdom that you've earned all these years, you know, and, and what you see. And, you know, what, what struck me as you were talking is, you know, if you're a business owner that's considering selling a business, there's probably many questions you typically get asked from your experience in the past. What is it that the business owner typically asks you when they're first starting to consider selling? Well, of course, people want to know, what is my business worth? Okay. And, you know, there's another old adage, it's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. However, there's also a way to control that because one thing, for example, here at Raincatcher, we've got a very uh, detailed process for determining the valuation of a business. And we, of course, we look at the financials. And I might just also add, you know, having clean records and quality of earnings is very important when someone's considering selling their business. We also have some programs here if people aren't quite ready to go to market where we can help them get prepared to go to market. And there's some value building programs that we can put into it because I think our overarching mission, as I see it here at Raincatcher, is to maximize that value. And sometimes uh, in talking with business owners, we have to sometimes be very candid and counsel them and maybe about timing of when to go to market what's best for you so we can maximize it. So we do a lot of coaching in that regard. It's not just, a, we're just not here for the thrill of the deal. We're here for the long-term and service, again, before, during, and after the sale. Because uh, a lot of our business too is tied to referrals. And I think that's the best kind of way to build a business. So they want to know, what is it worth? We can answer that question. They want to know, well, uh, who are we going to sell it to? I mean, who are the buyers? And we also can educate them in that particular regard because the buyers could be, depending on the scope of the deal, it could be an individual buyer. It could be a, a corporate type uh, buyer. It could be a competitor, you know, and how we go out and find those strategic buyers, people in a similar business or maybe somebody that's competing with them. If it's a larger scale thing, we have a lot of connections with private equity groups and search groups, and we can put larger plans together. So we're not limited by uh, the scope of the deal because we have different strategies depending on the particular deal. You know, from, from your experience in the franchise space, and, you know, there's a lot of things that the franchise system brings to a business owner, you know, versus the business owner that built it on his own. What do you think the chief framework difference, if that's the right word, between a franchise system-owned business for lack of a better term, and the individually owned business? Okay, well, good. That's a good question. A lot of people enter a franchise because they do recognize the value proposition, the value in terms of the marketing clout that they're going to have that they would not necessarily have on their own. Yes, and they're paying for that. They're paying their fair share as part of the system. But at the same time, they're going to be able to get more regional and even national advertising than they would not they would not be able to get as an independent. Another big value part of the equation is the purchasing power. If you're buying, you know, product for whatever your or merchandise, whatever your business model is, you know, you're buying on a larger scale, you're going to get a better 
price value. And that's going to keep the cost down, keep your prices more manageable to the consumer. So there's definitely some pluses there. And also the uh, proven to work business model. You know, that's basically what a franchise system is selling to its franchisees. And it's proven many of them, most of them have what's called an earnings claim in their franchise disclosure document. Keeping in mind that a franchise system is highly regulated, which is a good thing for the consumer, for the owner. The Federal Trade Commission is really high on that. There's a dozen or so states within the country that also have their own state regulations in addition to the federal. So I think the fact that it's highly regulated is a very good thing for its franchise owners. They also have some assurances with their franchise agreement. It's either a 10, typically sometime 15 or 20 year agreement with options to renew that gives them a little bit of an opportunity to do long-term succession planning and things of that nature as well. And the value also of it being a brand that usually if it comes to a time where they want to sell their business, they're going to find a little bit higher multiple of their earnings with a branded business than an independent. So there's probably a number of items, like I tried to mention there off the top of my head, that would kind of distinguish a franchise business from an independent business. Now, that doesn't mean that entrepreneurs who start their own thing you know, can't be highly successful because they surely can. And we see a lot of those people, you know, in our work here at Raincatcher to people who have built a strong business, maybe they're ready to retire and maybe they don't have a family member to succeed. So that's where we can come in and definitely help them find a successor to their legendary business or their their legacy business and to make sure that it's uh, continued in, in the way that the owner had created it. So I think both avenues make a lot of sense. Some people maybe prefer the entrepreneurial independence versus the restrictions to some extent of a franchise. But I've also found it interesting that some of the best franchise owners, if you're doing like a one to five store deal, five locations is like retired school teachers, retired military, because they're accustomed to protocols and procedures. But at the same time, I've seen a lot of highly successful entrepreneurs go into it on a larger scale where they may develop their franchise businesses over, say, a seven-year period with the idea from day one what their exit strategy is going to be. And then often they would sell it to another franchise owner, maybe in their geography, or they may come to someone like Raincatcher for us to find the right party to purchase that. Because some of these large deals, like, for example, friend of mine sold 268 Burger Kings. Okay. That's a big deal. As you can imagine, those deals are out there. And there's also the ones, twos, threes, fours, and fives out there as well. You know, I I was thinking as you were talking, so let's say you have the ABC franchise system and you've got owner A and owner B. Is it possible based on their business practices and execution that one could have a significantly higher multiple than the other? And if so, what are the factors that contribute to that? Well, sure. It sure is, Bob. Matter of fact, if you look at the top line revenues, that's number one. Look at their operating cost all through their financial statement and look at what their EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Then you look at the financial statement. This is, by the way, something that we do at Raincatcher. We have a certified financial analyst 
who goes through that and makes sure, working with the broker team, to make sure everything's identified. Sometimes there's discretionary items within that financial statement, maybe some lifestyle items that we pull out of it. And that's called addbacks. Mm-hmm. So then we get down after the EBITDA, plus those addbacks, which could be maybe they're paying for an automobile or something out of the business, or maybe they're paying their cell phone for, for personal use out of the business, maybe some travel here or there. So those items would be added back to the EBITDA number to get down to what's called seller discretionary earnings. So that SDE is really the factor that is utilized most commonly times a multiple, okay, depending on comparables and what similar businesses have sold. And you know, it's just like residential real estate. You know, you look at comps on something like that, do the same thing in business. And we have access through our technologies to running comps on just about any kind of business. And then we come up with what that multiple should be. So the higher the SDE, in some cases, versus that A and B scenario, maybe if owner A has a much stronger SDE than owner B, so then his multiple may be the same, but it's multiplied by a bigger number. Sure. So therefore, his business is worth more in no, some terms. I think that was a poorly crafted question on my part. I was just trying to figure out, are there key discriminators? You know, if you have basically same gross you know, top line revenue, you know, is one managed significantly better than the other? And is it recognizable in a franchise system or does the system pretty much keep everybody operating the same way? No, it's, I think within the system, it's definitely recognized. You've got high performers and you've got some that are not quite as high. But, you know, one thing you hear in the franchise systems is what they called AUV or PSA, average unit volume or, or per store mm-hmm. volume. Anyway, it's, uh, but no, that there's variations. Obviously, you have some more dense markets, perhaps, that gets a lot more transactions. They're going to have a higher top line than others. And most systems in the franchise world, they recognize and award, you know, those kind of performers who are in the upper echelon as the highest volume stores. Maybe they have, you know, recognition's a big deal in franchising. You know, it kind of satisfies the ego and the peer pressure a little bit. Like you can have the, the golden circle, you can have the platinum circle, the diamond circle. And that's what gets all the juices flowing for some of these business owners. Yeah. Walk up to the stage and be recognized, you know, as being in the top 10%. So, you know, smart franchise companies, you know, put all those kind of incentives in. Psychologically, it works, but you can have people who are down at the lower level that want to have that same recognition. So it gives them an incentive to do better. We were talking before the show that you were called out to consult with a franchise company that needed some help getting pointed. And what I was considering as you were talking about that is, so you get a call from a business owner that's not a franchise owner, just a standard business they built. And after a discussion, you know, and you go through your value builder evaluation, when you recognize that there's some holes in their bucket that aren't insurmountable, but how do you take and discuss that with them? And what are next steps to get them ready to go? Sure. Well, I think number one, build rapport so that you know you've got a dialogue and you kind of support your credibility as well with your experience while you're doing that so that you can have an open and candid conversation. Because the thing is you want to recognize and give respect to that business owner 
of what their objectives are. And you try to get that out of them and say, well, okay, well, here's how we're going to get there. So I think it's just a matter of identifying where are those opportunities for improvement. You look at every aspect of it. You know, is it a uh, location problem? Not much you can do about that other than maybe create some graphics and visibility. Is it the people? You know, is your training? What's your attitude? Is it inconsistent? You just go into the details of what, see it from the customer's perspective. What are your clients or your customers experiencing? And then just get in there shoulder to shoulder with them. And that's the way to demonstrate it. I think the best teacher is to be on site and to be spending the necessary time to identify those opportunities for improvement. And for turnaround management, there's really not really a substitute for that. You have to get with the owner, have them recognize. You know what? One thing surprising, Bob, in my experience, often a lot of people wonder what's wrong with my business. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's wrong with it is they haven't been there. They haven't been around, you know. And I think there's been times seriously that I have sat in the car with the business owner just to observe what goes on. And they're sometimes very shocked. I used to do this often when I was on the corporate side of franchising and I would be out in the field and I would pick the owner up and we wouldn't go inside his business. We would sit outside and and observe. We'd sit in the parking lot. We would talk to customers who were coming out of the business. Hey, how are things going? You know, and it was very enlightening. And so that's some of the techniques to really make a point and have them see it from the customer's lens. You know, I was thinking about one of the conversations we were talking about is, you know, you try to make somebody coming into your business welcome as though they're coming into your home. Yeah. And I was thinking about the standard comment, you need good financials, right? And yeah. you go, shoot, I should be taller too. But, you know, <laughs> you know, it's a kind of a standard comment. But I thought about the potential buyer looking at an acquisition and going like, do you feel comfortable and at home looking at the financials? You know, and if not, you go in there and go, you know what? The toilet runs all the time. I mean, do you think they know, you know, kind of thing in somebody's house or you go in and go, dang, they swept that under the carpet over there. You know, the husband must have cleaned that spot. But, you know, I think about that analogy for you. You've seen how many franchise businesses do you think you've looked into in your career? Gosh, well, I know that when I was doing franchise brokerage, I had 300 and 40 different franchises in my portfolio. There was like 65 different business segments within that portfolio. Gosh, I know at any one time with the uh, International Franchise Association, there's about 2,700 franchises registered. A lot of people, you know, the first thing they think about when they think of franchises is a restaurant. Often when I was doing brokerage work, I'd say, well, what, what areas do you have interest in? I want to own a restaurant. And I'd say, well, why? I really want to challenge them up front. And that's like I said earlier, that's when I really go through some psychological things, frankly, and have them fill out a little questionnaire to find out what they really enjoyed doing, you know, and then I could go find something that made sense for them. And then that's what really works best because those are the people that then are happy doing what they're doing because they've done it. You know, I remember I had a, a project manager from Hewlett Packard once. And I said, well, what do you feel like you might enjoy doing? Well, I'm a project manager. I said, okay. And what does your wife do? 
Well, she's a, a graphic artist. Okay, so I'm listening to all this. Then I find the right deal, which was a, a stained glass franchise where they do this faux stained glass. And so the project management, the graphic art all came together. Mm-hmm. happy as they can be out in California, just doing, having a good time and having a good business. You know, and I was thinking about how many different things that are franchise, you know, I knew one where it was basically an IV supplement company. Yeah, There's yeah. a cryotherapy franchise where you go in and stand in and freeze yourself to death for a while. You know, it's the gamut. You were talking about Grease Monkey, which I'm familiar in, in this area with. You know, you were talking about Bonanza. I've been in Bonanzas when, when I was a young lieutenant, way back when and whatnot. So, you know, when you first get a call from somebody that's trying to figure out that they may be interested in selling their business or they want to start exploring the process, what does that initial conversation look like with you? Well, very good question. Well, the first thing I'll ask is, you know, well, tell me what's going on in your life that's brought us to having this conversation today. Okay, and that just kind of opens up a little dialogue so I can understand a little bit about where they are and what they're wanting to do and what some of their some of their goals are. And then, you know, you take it from there as far as understanding the kind of business that they might want to be interested in. And if they're in business now, let's say if they're looking to sell their business. I would start asking them about their business. You know, how long have you had it? Are you the only shareholder? Is your wife or your husband involved in it? Are there other family members involved? All that's necessary to know so that you can really understand the scope of this particular deal. And then uh, from there, go into their financials. You know, how did you do last year? Is this year better than last year? Then you kind of lead them into like a ballpark assessment of their business and how much money did you make last year? Are your earnings going to be higher this year? And you're making notes, of course, as you go. And then you uh, work toward, as you're building rapport throughout this process, and you find about their assets. You know, what do you have in terms of hard assets? And do you have any debt? Do you have any bank debt that you're dealing with? Give me a snapshot of your balance sheet, you know, stuff like that. And then uh, you get to a point where you've gone through enough information where you can kind of give them a ballpark understanding of what their business may be worth. And you just kind of preface it saying, this is ballpark because we do a more detailed valuation. If you're interested, at no obligation to you. And then you're all throughout this process. Then you're leading up to saying, well, how does that sound to you? Is that ballpark what you might be we're thinking or give me some feedback? And then the next step, once they say, no, that sounds pretty good. I think I understand that. Then I ask them, I said, well, would you like to learn a little bit more? about the process that we use here at Raincatcher in working with clients like you to uh, help you achieve your objectives. And of course, if they give you the go word, then you go into our process and how it works and what we can do for them and what sets Raincatcher apart from everybody else. That's where I think we are able to capture a client, then start building a relationship, which is what it's about. And we become their trusted advisor and let's work together to make something good happen here. You know, for the the client that's listening or potential client that's listening, he's going, you know, or she's going, I don't know if what my business will sell for will help me support the life I want to have post-sale. So let's say you've got 
Miss Jones, she's selling her company or planning on it. And you go and she says, you know, I need X. And you go, well, right now, I don't think it's going to bring X. What type of procedure policy or efforts do you guys point at Miss Jones to try to get her to her X number? Well, that's excellent, Bob. I'm glad you brought that up because we do that. And we have a value builder program. There's really well-identified value drivers in any business. And we have people here in-house on our staff that are very expert at getting into the, doing what we call a deep dive, getting into the business to start identifying, following those eight drivers to identify where do we have an opportunity to improve. The way we begin that, we have for all of our clients, a self-assessment where they answer certain questions pertaining to each of these drivers that I've mentioned. And then we utilize that as compared to others in their particular industry, how they stand up. And if they're low in a particular segment of it, then let's work on it. Let's make it better. And then we talk to them about how we can help you build value over time by implementing these certain turnaround strategies. And then let's look at marketing this business maybe six months from now after we've had a chance. And then it's better in line to help you achieve your originally stated objectives. So I think, yeah, we have tools to help any prospective client get closer to realizing what their needs are in terms of the success of the sale of their business. You know, it's I'm a bit familiar. I've had John Warlow from Built to Sell Radio on the podcast before. And, you know, and the thing I think it's interesting is the database of business types that have gone through Value Builder. And so if I'm selling widgets and there's, you know, a bunch of other companies that are selling the same widget, I think he has a benchmark from, you know, top to bottom in the Value Builder ranking. You know, guys are top of class, top quartile, and the top quartile sold for this multiple. And the bottom quartile sold for something less than that multiple. (laughs) I thought was really a value. Maybe you can expand on it. So let's say I'm in the bottom quartile and I'm not at my X number. And to go, but, you know, if you're in the top quartile, you're going to be close or above your X number. You know, evolution prioritization of the value drivers. What do you guys do to address that with them? Yeah, there's a lot of stats involved in that. It's proven to your point that a business that employs the value builder system that we have coaches here that we put into play, their business is going to sell for anywhere from 18 to 25% more. And that can be a significant number when you think about it. And there's going to be variables, of course, but at the same time, it's proven, and this is a, a affordable program, by the way. It's something that is like an investment in yourself, in a way, that we would definitely encourage business owners to consider if they happen to be in that particular mode. So now it's uh, proven to work. And let's say somebody's a business is very dependent upon the owner. You know, they're in their day to day, and have a you job. Know, that's, yeah, that's really more of a negative than a positive. So we would want to take that as an example and put together an action plan with strategies of how can you remove yourself a little bit. Maybe you need to spend more time, Mr. or Miss Business Owner, as in business development than you are in day-to-day operations. So let's see what you have already 
Maybe you have staff that could step into that role and fulfill that while you're out creating new business. You know, maybe that's a better role for you as the owner. Maybe you're attending the chamber meetings and the breakfast meetings and the business after hours, things of that nature, instead of being in there day to day, doing the turning the key in the lock, you know, maybe somebody else can be doing that for you. So there's a way to shift those roles, I think, to improve value. That's just one example of taking advantage of one of those value drivers. Let's get the business owner out of the, pardon the pun, driver's seat and put them in a different role to help grow the business. You know, I'm aware of the fee for the coaching. And I think about if you're like enterprise value of a million bucks and you're in bottom quartile and you can spend the time necessary to get in the top quartile, I think the return on that investment for the coaching versus what you're going to get top quartile multiple, the numbers are staggeringly good. Oh, ten, tenfold, if not more. No, there's no question. And, and we have examples too. We can work with our clients to show them some of the results we've had in that regard. You know, there, there's something else that just came to mind. You know, a lot of times businesses have certain peaks, you know, mm-hmm. and we've seen since the pandemic and a lot of the deals we, we work with where obviously 2020 was a pretty negative impact on a lot of businesses, but then 2021, man, they shot up again. And things were, you know, above where they were before, before pandemic. So we've even had given advice to some of those with the larger scale businesses that maybe you need to take and have a CPA review of that 2021 year to make sure that those numbers are validated in that way. Then we can start marketing your business at a higher value based upon that CPA review. And then that also saves a lot of time and due diligence. Once we get a buyer, because these are validated numbers, it really does uh, mean a lot to business owners in terms of maximizing on their value. You know, my observation, I'm a business owner as well, and I sold a business once. And I, like many business owners, I didn't do that very well because I sold it myself, you know, and you see that a lot. And, you know, for you, you've bought and sold and so on so many different businesses. So you've seen what to do. And probably seen what not to do a time or two. You know, I think for the business owners, it's challenging for them to see their business from the buyer's perspective. You know, and we keep talking about financials, which in my mind is de-risking the process for the buyer. Yep. You know, and building confidence. So, you know, for the folks that were listening and they wanted to reach out to you and have a chat, where do people find you? Well, they can find me, of course, at, at Raincatcher. I'm a senior broker based here in the Denver, Colorado area, raincatcher.com. Definitely check out our website there. Also, LinkedIn, you know, I'm there as well. Just, W-O-F-F-O-R-D. That, that's correct, Bob. Gary Wofford. That's me. <laughs> and you and I talked about that, and I mispronounced it to start with, you know, and whatnot. But, you know, I think for folks... You know, there's good resources on the website where you can do the uh, value builder assessment and it's free to do. And for the folks out there in that space, you know, Gary's got about as much experience, I suspect, as you can have, you know, and so there's probably not much you haven't seen. And so if you're out there looking and you want to have a conversation, I'd urge you to call him. I mean, there is no harm in a phone call. And so, Gary, is there anything I should have asked you? That I didn't. Well, I think one thing as you were just talking there about came to mind, speaking of phone calls, 
I had a very productive call just recently with an SBA lender. You know, that's something else here at Raincatcher we're able to do. We've got a lot of contacts with all the different business expertise from financial planners to attorneys, M&A attorneys, to lenders. So we pride ourselves really on that preferred network of referral people. And I had this great call because we can help our clients in their financing. You know, we get our deals pre-approved with SBA, for example, so that we know that it's bankable. And that's a big plus to buyers when they're taking a look at something. So we're kind of here to do two things. You said something earlier about looking at things through the buyer's lens. We think that's very important. And we have another piece of our process called the sell side due diligence, Mm -hmm. where we go through with our sellers a due diligence process in advance so that we're prepared to answer questions in order to expedite that due diligence period and also be professional and to be precise when someone asks a broker a question, we have the answer. So we do a lot of work in advance to prepare a business for the market. So no, but other than that, yeah, phone calls are welcome. I'll put it that way. Well, Gary, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you spending your time with us. And I hope for the listeners that you picked up some wisdom here because Gary has got a wealth of knowledge and a track record. So Gary, thank you again for taking your time today. Well, it's been my pleasure, Bob. I appreciate this opportunity very much. And thanks again. All righty.